Mark was a senior pastor at Cleveland Baptist Church quite a few years ago. He's been in and out of ministry for, or pastoral ministry for 15 years and he now works for Queensland Baptist. He's married with kids and they attend here now. You're over the north side, the Holy Land, on the north side of Brizzy. And, uh, and uh, it's awesome to have Mark come and preach to us tonight. So give him a huge hand. That'd be good. Uh, thank you. I should say that I went to Ferny Grove High and I, did my, um, I was a te- high school teacher. I did my prac there. And there was one day where it was like athletics carnival. And there was this young punk called Twig. And uh, he was giving me sticks. So I think I made him like run laps or give him detention or something. So you come a long way, Twigger. Good on you. Hey, I've got a picture on the screen of a bunch of things that belong to me. And see if you can work out what makes them a group. They're a set. They're all my things. My watch, my phone, my car keys, my headphones, my swipe card. But they, they form a special set. Do you know what it is? These are the things that I lose on a daily basis. In fact, I tried to take this photo on Wednesday night, but I couldn't find my wallet. Um, so that's supposed to be in the picture, but I literally couldn't find it. I lose these things all the time, all the time. I once lost my keys for three weeks. Uh, I was, uh, got home one day and went, oh, where are my house keys? Oh, they'll turn up and for three weeks. And then in the middle of the night, I woke up like 2 a.m. and I went, that's where they are. And I got out of bed and I walked out of my house in my boxer shorts, you know, across the street, down into the park, across the road from where I used to live. And I walked over to the cricket nets and just bent down and went, I knew they were there. Because three weeks earlier, I was playing cricket with my mate after we had a barbecue, and you can't bowl fast with keys jangling in your pocket. Like, you know this, right? So I took them out, put them down. Like, I watched, I watched myself. I was there when it happened. Three weeks, I lost them. I lose things all the time. And I wonder if you've experienced this where, you know, you're like, I could have sworn I had a glass of water or an iPhone, right? Where did that go? Why? And then 20 minutes later, or an hour later, or three weeks later, you'd find it somewhere. Like, why do we lose things? What is happening for us when that's going on? I mean, we're there when it happens. We see it. It's our hand that puts that thing down. We, we lose things all the time. What is going on with that? Maybe you've experienced another version of this is when you're driving along and you see someone that you know at a traffic light or something. My mum is a classic for this, right? I'd look at her at the traffic lights, be sitting opposite her, I'm in my car, she's in her car, and she's staring straight at me. And I'm like, it's my mum. You know, so I'm like, flash my lights at her, nothing. Honk the horn, nothing. I'm like, hang out the side of the car, mum, mum, it's me, Mark, me. Nothing. The lights changes, she drives straight past me. I'm like, and the next day I say, hey, mum, I saw you at the traffic lights, you know, and she's like, oh, I guess I didn't see you. I'm like, you figure? Like, what? What is going on when you can look straight at someone, someone who you love apparently and who you care about, look straight at them and not see them? On the cast thing, maybe you've been driving along and all of a sudden you realise, whoa, how did I get here? Did I miss my exit? What happened to the last two minutes? Have you experienced that? all of a sudden you kind of wake up to yourself and realise that you haven't been paying attention, even though your hands are on the steering wheel and your foot's on the accelerator and you think, man, how did I get here? Or you see someone at the shops and you go over to them and you say, oh, g'day, Fred. And Fred just walks straight past you and you're like, 
Why do we do that? I don't think it's because we're distracted. I actually think it's because we're preoccupied. We're preoccupied. There's something else that is taking up our head space and our heart space. We're so fixated on one thing that we miss everything else that's going on around us. Like when my mum's sitting there at the traffic lights, she's thinking about something. Not me, apparently, right? She's focused on something. She's fixated on something. I reckon it's our preoccupations that distract us, that take our attention away from the things that are happening around us. You know what I'm talking about? You've experienced that? So what is it for you? What is it for you? What is the thing that's capturing your headspace and your heart space at the moment? The thing that when someone says, are you even listening to me? It's that thing that you're thinking about. Like maybe it's your finances and you're just thinking about how much money you have and how much you need and whether you'll ever be able to save a deposit for a house or pay off your hex debt or buy a ring, congratulations. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's a project you're working on. And to be honest, this is where my head's at. I'm busy building a new patio roof at my house. So I'm thinking about, do I need 75 mil panels or 100 mil panels? I bet it, you know, what kind of screws do I need? I don't want the Z-shaped gutter or the U-shaped gutter. Like, I'm thinking about this all the time. It's a project that's capturing my head space and my heart space. Maybe for you, it's, a new, it's an event you're planning, engagement party or a birthday party or a, something else. You catch yourself thinking about that. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a new acquisition. Maybe it's your body. You're thinking about losing weight or gaining weight or moving some weight around or turning some flabby weight into some firm, muscly weight. Or you're concerned about a freckle or getting a haircut. Like, what is the thing that you're thinking about? You may be sitting there thinking, oh, Mark, those are pretty trivial kinds of examples, really. I mean, who's thinking about freckles or haircuts? Like, there's more important things in the world than that. But I'd actually argue with you that the thing that you are preoccupied about, that is the most important thing to you. It's actually not trivial because it's the thing that's pushed everything else out of your mind and I think out of your heart as well and you're fixated on that one thing. It is the most important thing to you, I think. It's the thing that you're looking to for a sense of satisfaction and purpose and peace. It's your preoccupation. I'm going to take you to a passage today. It's uh, John chapter four. And in, in this passage, we see a clash of preoccupations. Jesus is focused and fixated on one thing. His disciples are focused and fixated on something else. And there's this misalignment of preoccupations. Where their head's at, where their heart is at, is out of step with Jesus. And Jesus brings them in in his grace um, it's John chapter four. A little background before I read the passage to you. Uh, John chapter four, Jesus is traveling from uh, Judea in the south up to Galilee in the north and he's decided to go through Samaria in the middle. This was not the thing most people did. Most people avoided Samaria because of Samaritans, like they're the worst. So normally what you would do is you'd add a couple of days to your trip and go round the long way. It's kind of like going from Melbourne to Perth but not going through South Australia because who wants to go to Adelaide, right? That's, that's kind of the picture. So you'd rather go around. And Jesus here is on a journey with his disciples. He finds himself at midday at a well, Jacob's well. He's tired, he's hungry, he's thirsty. 
and uh, he has this interaction with this woman. This woman from the town comes out and meets him at the well and she's, she's just broken. She's thirsty. She's alone and isolated. She's the most outcast person in a community of outcasts and she has an interaction with Jesus about living water and about true worship and she's transformed. But I wanna look today at what happens either side of that. You see, Jesus is at the well and he sends his disciples from the well into the town. The town's called Sychar or Sychar. So they walk down the road from the well to the town at the same time as the woman is walking from the town to the well. And they probably pass each other. It reads like they kind of walk past each other on the road. This woman's there, walks past 11 or 12 uh, Jewish men. And then Jesus meets with her and then the disciples go to the town to buy food because Jesus sends them off to buy lunch, you know, they're hungry. They go to the town to buy food and then they come back and, uh, and meet this woman. And as they arrive back with their, you know, bags of lunch, the woman leaves. Uh, we pick it up in verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why were you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone else have brought him some food? So Jesus is there. Is he tired? Absolutely. Is he hungry? Absolutely. Is he thirsty? I think so. Looks like the woman actually never gave him the water that he asked for. He's tired, hungry, and thirsty. It's their job to go and get food. They come back with food. And Jesus says, I have food that you know nothing about. And they're like, but, but Jesus, like you told us, Guys, didn't he tell us? Yeah, he said, leave the town, sorry, leave the well, go to town and get food and then come back with lunch. So wasn't it our job to get food and now you're saying you've got food? Like, did someone else bring him food? Did that lady bring lunch for you? Did you have two-minute noodles in your backpack, Jesus? They're confused about what's going on. They thought it was their job to get lunch. He's hungry, he's thirsty, he's waiting for food. And they urge him, Rabbi, eat something. This is kind of the disciples' job. Their job was to look after the practical and material needs of the master. So it's their job to go and find a place to stay and look after the finances and organize the food and make sure the master has everything he needs to do his ministry. They look after his physical needs and then he looks after their spiritual needs. So when they say, Rabbi, eat something, they're kind of just doing their disciply duty. They're doing a good job of, uh, of being disciples. But it's pretty clear that Jesus is on a completely different page to the disciples. He says, I have food you don't even know about. And then he goes on uh, in verse 34 and says, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. The disciples are preoccupied with food. They're hungry. They go and get lunch. Jesus is preoccupied with something else. He's preoccupied with doing God's will. 
that's the thing that's captured his heart, captured his head and captured his heart. He's focused on doing God's will. He has a completely different priority to the disciples. A couple of big ideas in this verse. Uh, first of all, um, Jesus does the very works of God. He conforms his will to God's will. He does the very works of God. See, Jesus is God's son in, in, in at least three ways. First of all, he's the, he's the progeny of the father. He's the offspring of the father. He shares the same essence. He's the son. But he's also the son in that he's the heir. He stands to inherit the father's title and the father's estate. He's the son of God. He's the firstborn over all creation. He's the heir. And, but in the third sense, and this is the sense that's talked about here, is that the son is also the agent of the father, the formal representative of the father, the one who speaks with the father's authority, who can sign the father's name, who, who carries out the father's will. And Jesus here is saying, I'm conforming my will to God's will. The things you see me do aren't my things. I haven't come to do my own stuff. I've come to do God's work, God's way. I've come to serve the Father. My food, says Jesus, is to do God's work, to finish his work. I bend and conform my will to do God's work. Jesus never does his own thing. He only ever does what the Father tells him to do. He's the agent of the Father. He's the representative of the Father. He's the Son. In John 17, uh, verse 4, Jesus says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. He's looking to the cross, saying, through my death and resurrection, I will finish the work you've given me to do. I will bring you glory. I will, I will save your world by doing your work. I'll be the one who does it. Jesus does the very works of God. The second big idea we see here is that Jesus would rather do God's will than anything else. He would rather do God's will than anything else. He is looking to obedience to be the thing that will satisfy and sustain him. It's his food. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus is saying, that's number one for me. That is the thing, doing God's work that has captivated my heart, my hands, my mind. I'm fixated and focused on doing God's work, performing God's will more than anything else. It links back to Deuteronomy 8 in the desert. It says, He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus is saying, if I have a choice, I would rather go hungry physically and do God's work. My true hunger is to do God's work. That supersedes my hunger for food and my thirst. I would rather do that than anything else. I would rather be satisfied by being obedient than just have a full tummy. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So what is this work? What is this will that Jesus here conforms his will to? It's reaching the lost. It's reaching the lost. Do you realize that? God is on a rescue mission 
to get his family back together. And Jesus joins in to God's rescue plan to rescue the world, to, to save the lost. And he describes this. He says in verse 34, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests a crop for eternal life. So the sower and the reaper may, re may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and the other reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. And Jesus uses a metaphor of harvest, harvest for eternal life. He says, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm focused on. I'm focused on reaching the lost, sharing the good news, a message of hope for a broken world, a message that the outcasts can come home and find a home in the family of God. His food is to see people come to faith. The disciples are so preoccupied with physical food that they have no hunger and no yearning for true food, better food, doing God's work, joining with him and seeing the lost be found, sinners saved. And Jesus here uses uh, two, two metaphors to, to describe this. You know, two kind of farming metaphors. The first one's about the timing of the harvest. He says, four months more and then the harvest. And then he says, but today there's gonna be a harvest. It's coming your way. See, normally what would happen is that there's a four-month gap between sowing the seed and reaping the harvest. You know, you gotta water it, it grows up until it's ripe and then you harvest it. But Jesus is saying in this case, there's no, there's no need to wait. The harvest is on its way. It's already here. Open your eyes and look. The second metaphor is about joy. Because usually, like if you're the sower, being the sower is not much fun because you have to put your breakfast in the ground. And then at the end of the day, you just got an empty sack. So you have nothing left. You've sown all of your food. So usually it kind of sucks to be the sower. But the reaper, man, is it good being the reaper? All you do is just collect the harvest and you just eat it as you go. So much food. And Jesus says, no, today, both the sower and the reaper will rejoice together. What is he talking about? What is he talking about? You see, to make sense of this, you kind of have to zoom out to a bird's eye view. And you realise that while Jesus is talking to the disciples, everyone from the town is on their way out to meet him at the well. Like, just, just walk it through with me, right? Jesus is uh, at the well. He sends the disciples into the town. On the way, they probably walk past the woman. They look straight at her, but they don't see her. They don't see that she's one, one conversation away from having her life transformed. Because... She talks to Jesus about living water and she's transformed. They look at her, but they don't see her. They're preoccupied with food. Then they go into town and they look at all the people in the town 
because they're going, trying to find kosher food, right, to, for Jesus. And they look at all the people in the town, but they just, they don't see them. They're preoccupied with food. Then they walk back out. As they arrive, the woman leaves, and they don't realize that she's encountered Jesus. And then Jesus talks to them about harvest. And he, he, he's saying, don't you guys get it? I've just sown a word in the life of this woman. I've just told her about living water. I've just revealed to her that I'm the Christ. And she is going and bringing the whole town out. There is a harvest literally walking down the road to meet us as we speak. If you would just open your eyes and look. What confronts me in this passage is that the disciples, they just didn't see what God was doing. They didn't see the woman. They didn't see the townspeople. And even as Jesus is talking, they don't quite put it together. And I wonder if we're the same. I wonder if we're so caught up doing our own thing, preoccupied with our own stuff, that we miss what God is doing. Because Jesus says, open your eyes and look. There's a harvest everywhere. He says, even now, the reaper draws his wages. In other words, even now, there's a harvest happening. And I reckon these are words for us for today. I reckon this is the best opportunity for the good news in 20 years. I think since September 11, since that day, 20 years ago, this is the best season for the gospel because there is a whole world desperate for hope, desperate for peace, desperate for purpose, who feel out of control. The harvest is plentiful. Jesus is already working. He's gone before us. This, I, I truly believe this. This Christmas season, we're going to see an incredible harvest right across Australia because people are hungry for the gospel. They're desperate. They need hope. They need peace. And we have it, don't we? I reckon this is the best opportunity if we would open our eyes and look. Christmas at Bridgie. Christmas lights. Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. There would literally be thousands of people walking to the building and through the building. The harvest field, the harvest is on its way. It's not the town of Sikar coming. It's people who live in the neighborhood. It's your friends from work. It's that guy from school. It's that girl from netball. It's your neighbors. It's your cousin. It's your grandma. There is an incredible harvest waiting for us. God is already working. I really believe that. He's already working. He's already preparing the harvest. It is ripe. If we would just open our eyes and look. There are people there will be thousands and thousands of people this week who are one conversation away from, from a life-changing encounter with Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Thousands of people, one conversation away from a life-changing encounter with Jesus. We're living in this moment. 
It's an incredible, incredible opportunity this week. Not only that, but this Christmas, over the next three weeks, you will have opportunities. There will be people who will be flashing their lights at you, putting out signals, who will be honking their horn, who will be hanging out the window saying, Mom, it's me. If you would just open your eyes and look, there are people giving off signals all the time in your world. You will see people at family Christmas. You'll see people at your work breakup. You'll see people at your cul-de-sac street party who will be giving out signals that they're one conversation away. They're looking for hope. They're looking for purpose. They're looking for meaning. They're open to the good news. The harvest is right there. Even now, it's happening. It's unfolding. Open your eyes and look. There are people around you who are one step away from a life-changing encounter with Jesus. I want to ask you to do two things. First of all, I want to ask you to make his will your food. Make his will your food. In other words, say, Jesus, I want you and I want your will more than anything else. These other things have come to the top and they're the things I'm preoccupied with. But I want to make, like Jesus, I want to make doing your will the thing that drives me and sustains me. I want to hunger and thirst for you. I want a passion for the lost. I'm looking to be satisfied, have my hunger satisfied and my thirst quenched by you, by doing your will. But to do that, we've got to lay aside our own preconceived ideas, don't we? We've got to lay aside the things that are preoccupying us. I asked you before to think of that thing that captures your head and your heart that's the thing that's on top for you. And I want to ask you to lay that down, to put it back in its place. Like having good patio roof panels, that's important. But it's not as important as being focused and fixated on what God is doing in the world. To be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. To have my eyes open to say, Jesus, I just want to do what you want more than anything else. I want to ask you to lay that thing down, to surrender it, to disempower it, to say, Jesus, this is a thing that I'm thinking about instead of you, and I want to put it back in its place. That's the first thing I want to ask you to make his will your food. The second thing I want to ask you to do is to open your eyes, to dial up your awareness, to switch on, to zone in to what God is doing. To do that, I want to ask you tomorrow, from the time that you wake up to when you eat dinner at night, to fast for the whole day, from, to eat nothing until dinner time tomorrow, as a way to say, Jesus, I want, I want you to satisfy me. I want doing your will to be my food. I would rather be hungry physically and aware spiritually than the other way around. So when my tummy rumbles, it's gonna remind me to open my eyes, to be aware of the people around me, to really look at them, not just look through them. I want to ask you to do that. 
Now, if you're a diabetic or you're pregnant or you've got some other medical reason or you're like a brain surgeon or you operate heavy machinery, just, just be wise. But for most of us, we can do that, right? Most of us can, can go without two meals in order to focus on what God is doing, to pray and prepare and be aware of what the Holy Spirit is doing. Will you do that? As a way to say, I'd rather hear from you, Jesus. I'd rather be satisfied by your word. I'd rather be alert to your Holy Spirit. I want my hunger to be for you. I'm gonna ask you to do those two things, to confess your preoccupation, to lay it down. And to say, Jesus, I wanna focus on you, open my eyes. And to do that, I wanna fast. I wanna sacrifice my food so that you can be my food. So I'm just gonna ask you to stand up as a team comes back up. I'm gonna lead you in prayer. It's an incredible opportunity we have. An incredible opportunity. And if you wanna pray this, this prayer with me, I encourage you just to put your hands out like this as, as a way to offer up to Jesus your preconception, the thing that's taking up your, your preoccupation, sorry, the thing that's occupying your heart and head and to receive from him. Will you pray with me? Jesus, this story we've read from John 4, it's really a story about your grace. It's about the fact that you transform a whole town. And for generations to come in that place afterwards, there are people who call themselves followers of Jesus. It's your grace. It's your mercy. It's the power of the gospel. It's a good news story. It's hope for the hopeless. The outcasts find a home in the family of God. It's a story of grace. But Lord, we see the disciples and we see ourselves in them. We're focused on the wrong thing sometimes. We look at people, but we don't see them. We don't see the signs they're putting out, that they're open to the good news, that they're ready to be harvested for eternal life. And Lord, I know for me, there's things in my life that stop me from being open to you. They absorb my energy, my attention and my focus. So Lord, I offer them to you now. I offer them to you that they may go back into their place and that you may have pride of place in my life, seated on the throne. Holy Spirit, make us like Jesus. May we be able to say, my food is to do the will of Him who sent me. That we may have open eyes to the huge harvest that is just around the corner, that is literally coming here this week. We may enter in as the Holy Spirit leads. Lord, for a bunch of us tonight, we're actually gonna fast tomorrow. No food till dinner because we're desperate for You. We're hungry for You. We want You. We don't wanna be distracted. And we know that we'll truly be satisfied as we focus on You, as we open our eyes to where Your Holy Spirit is working, as we align and conform our will with Yours. Give us a hunger for You, Jesus. Give us a passion for the lost. And may we serve you well 
as your children, as we work with you to get your family back together, to help the lost and lonely find a place in the family of God. Amen, amen. <clears throat> Thanks so much for your word, Westy. And uh, I agree with everything Westy said tonight. Uh, there's a, you know, it's a really interesting thing just coming off the back of um, schoolies and that's my 12th year doing schoolies. And a lot of people have asked, you know, how, how was it? And, and there was just so many stories coming off, uh, coming off the back of it and, and just amazing opportunities to just share about faith. And, and it wasn't pushed or anything like that, but as we served, um, people just wondered, how do you get involved? Why, why, why did you get involved? And there was just so many different stories of being able to, to share about faith. And there was a couple of things that I came away from that, just thinking, well, why, why this year more than any other year? And I think a big part of that is the fact that I agree, Wesley mentioned that in our world today, I think there's a lot of hopelessness. There's a lot of searching going on. There's a lot of fear-driven stuff in our society, in our culture today. And people are going, well, you know, where do I turn? Where do I look? Like, where, where's the hope? And I'm convinced that God is the answer. I'm absolutely convinced of that. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And so I, I believe we've got the greatest message in the whole world to share. And so culminating that with the fact that it talks about in the Bible, kindness leads to repentance, I think is an opportune time. The very season that we're in is an opportune time. But you know what? It comes through relationship. I absolutely believe that. Even Billy Graham himself said the greatest form of evangelism is through relational evangelism. Nothing beats it. And so there's people in your life, in and around us that we have opportunities to share with. And, uh, but you know what? We need to be revived. We need to be awakened to the extraordinary message that we have. That's, that's what we need. We often talk about evangelism and, oh, you know, trying to urge people to go out. But no, when you know in your heart that God's the greatest Father ever, you can't help it. You can't help but share. It's not an evangelism problem. It's a love problem. When we love something so desperately, we can't shut up about it. And so we need to be revived. We need to be awakened to the goodness that we have in our great God. It's what compels us to speak. And so I agree, uh, as Westy shared. So this week, we've got an opportunity. This Christmas, we've got an opportunity. But it's every single day. It's around us every time. And so in this song, as we sing this, as we sing these very words, a very uh, appropriate God, God of revival, as we cry out and pray, God, revive us. Uh, I pray that He'd do that tonight. But you, you, you work with God. You pray to God in this song and say, God, just revive me, awaken me. The things that have distracted me, help me to overcome those things and realign my heart and my mind with the things of you. I pray. So let's sing this song together. Let's, let's worship. But as we sing these words, maybe more than words, but a prayer and the cry of our heart, God, revive us, awaken us. I really do pray. Let's do that. No. 
watching my heart beat what you defeated I will trust in you Father God, that's the, that's the cry and the prayer of our heart that You might awaken our hearts, Lord Jesus. Awaken us to the things of You. Help us to set aside the stuff that's consumed our mind and consumed our time, great God, and realign our hearts uh, with the things of You, we pray. 
There's people uh, that, that are on our hearts that we'd love you to just break into their lives. And I just felt in this moment, if, if there's someone on your mind and your heart, I just wanna give you a moment just to pray for that person, to lift up that neighbour, that work colleague, that family member, that friend, uh, just to lift them up in this moment. I just wanna give you an opportunity to do that, to pray, to ask God uh, to, to break into their life, to draw them to yourself. Father God, I thank You that You're a God that's not distant, but a God that is so relational, so near, a God that, that, that values people far more than we do, that, that You want every single person, that Your Word says You don't want any to perish. You want every single person coming into a knowledge and understanding and a relationship with You, great God. We thank You that this is Your heart. And this is, you're a loving God, a compassionate Father. And I thank You for that. We wanna pray corporately right now. We wanna pray this Christmas that many people will be impacted by Your Word, uh, be impacted by, by, the, the, uh, by Your Holy Spirit, great God, as people come out. I wanna pray for these Christmas lights and we just ask, great God, that You would move sovereignly, that the people would just be impacted again. Hearts change, we really do pray. And God, send us out with a heart. I'm just, even now, just reminded of Jeremiah, fire in his bones. And if he didn't share this good news, he would die. That's what he said. And that's what we need, a fire within our bones, a hunger and a, an understanding of the goodness of You, Father God. And so send us out and help us to be obedient to Your leading and prompting, to know who we need to speak, when we need to speak and what we need to say, great God, we pray. And so lead us, Father, we ask. We thank You, Lord, that we can cry out to You. Thank You that Your church is on the move, great God, that You are on the move and that we get to be a part of that. So Lord, we love You and we thank You and we just pray all these things in Jesus' Name. Amen, amen. Hey, I do wanna say this as well. If you want prayer at all, we'd love to pray for you. So feel free to come down. And this is the other thing as well. So next Sunday night, we have four baptisms next Sunday night, which is so exciting and awesome. But you know what? We're just talking down the front before. If you wanna get baptised next Sunday, just, just you feel free. Come and see one of us and we'll just do a whole heap of baptisms next Sunday night. It'll be awesome. Um, but don't miss that opportunity. If you wanna be baptised, just lock it in and uh, we'll baptise you next Sunday. Actually, it'll be the last Sunday service of 2021, actually. Uh, so just lock it in and be baptised. Last Sunday service, 2021. God bless you. Feel free to hang out afterwards, grab some food, catch up, uh, have an awesome